so I, I came here almost straight from the airport. Like mm-hmm. I came home from the airport, threw just everything down, grabbed what I would need, and, and came over here because I knew if I stayed at home, it would be that much harder to get back. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations, although not today, about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. I think we can do reverence to some issues while also being reverent to you. The project. Yes, this is that true. We we're about to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> covering bicycling, trains, oh, and trains. I read. I thought it was irrelevant. We're good. <laughs> we're back there. We're back. <laughs> covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life acts. And today, more. No more freeways. Yes, that's right. We've got Aaron Brown in the studio again. And uh, we're hitting a deadline here pretty soon. So <laughs> if you're listening to this, you might be hearing this. In fact, you will probably be hearing this. Um, on Friday, because there is a deadline coming up, and we have brought the source on our interesting freeway conundrum into the studio here. So thanks, Aaron, for coming on to the show. Does the Sprocket podcast have a, like, Saturday Night Live, you do it five times and get a special coat kind of thing? Like, the five-timers oh club, gosh. Saturday Night Live. You have no idea I do bring how this up. close you are. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. I was, just, I was just guessing. <laughs> no, but, I mean... There's, I have to go there fight some other record. freeways so I can come back three more times and get whatever the special badge right, of right. is. Now, there is a record holder who holds the most uh, appearances on the show. You know, sort of our Steve Martin. Sure. Uh, but uh, there is kind of a, a club. Yeah. We haven't we haven't quite figured out I what to do about it yet. It's a club that exists in spirit. There you go. Uh, there you go. You know, so you, you, can, you can rest easy knowing. I feel like there needs to be a, like, framed sprocket. Mm-hmm. You know, like a you know some sort of bike paraphernalia type thing that you have to pass back and forth. Or yeah, something. sure. I was thinking, you know, we have patches available, and then like maybe like an addendum to the patch that you sew on for all the all the subsequent guest mm-hmm. spots that you do, like the five right timer clubs. Yeah, I think that every time I mention it, I'm just waiting for people to be like, "Gosh, Sprocket, you should just like stop talking about it and go do it." And one of these days, we probably will. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, it is an honor it's, to be back, gentlemen. Yes, thank you thanks very much for coming for back. Us. Oh, um, <laughs> you're good. And and Aaron, tell us a little bit about what you do if somebody's tuning in for the first time, um, and, and what you're working on. Uh, so my name is Aaron Brown. Uh, I grew up in the Portland region, out in Beaverton. Uh, like all Oregonians, kind of got the salmon thing going on, where you leave and come back. I went to school in the Twin Cities, but returned. Uh, thought I was going to be an urban planner, but decided I was a little bit more interested in sort of the advocacy spaces around planning than the actual technocratic pedagogy of planning itself. Uh, spent some time doing some voter registration initiatives, passed a bunch of taxes on people, so apologies for that. Uh, <laughs> but now I'm trying to save you all $500 million by uh, challenging the Rose Quarter Freeway expansion. So I'm one of the chief rabble-rousers behind the No More Freeway Expansions group. We founded in September of 2017 after passage of the big statewide transportation bill in July, about July of 2017, uh, House Bill 2017. It's convenient that the House bill number and the year were the same. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of good things were in that package. Uh, a lot of funding for transit that's about to come online. You may have noticed that TriMet now has an all-night bus. Thank you, voters, for that. Mm-hmm. That came from this package that passed. Yeah, good deal. Um, but as with any big bipartisan 
enormous <laughs> transportation, you know, government yes. project. There's some good parts and some bad parts. And the design art, of compromise, so to speak. Inherently, yeah. right. Um, you know, I'm a big soccer fan, so I always compare it to, you know, when you're playing at home, you always want to win. But when you're playing on the road, you kind of are happy with a draw. And right so on. when our rabble-rousing transportation advocates go down to Salem, that's kind of enemy territory because there's a lot of Republicans down, not in Salem explicit, specifically, sure. but the legislature. When you're making a compromise with the whole state and you come away with a draw, that's actually a pretty good result. Not bad. Especially yeah. considering, you know, the big bike and big transit <laughs> are not actually nearly as large as big freeway and right. big trucking and big automobile well, industrial complex. And, and certainly not as status quo. Right. Right. And... Uh, in the 21st century, it is as much about the infrastructure and coalitions you retire as much as those you build, hmm. meaning that it's great that we're getting solar panels, but we also have to stop the coal plants. And it's great that we're getting more women on television, but we kind of have to stop like, the patriarchy. Men. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and not just men in general, but also just like the worst aspects of white supremacy and the patriarchy and everything else. Right. Right on. And uh, so as we move forward with all of these awesome, you know, things that are happening locally, regionally and across the state and country. We also have to be having these honest conversations about what are the institutions that are taking up most of our resources that we have to retire if we have any meaningful desire which, to act on, say, climate yes. change. Which then leads to like some somebody is going to feel like left out or, or feel jilted, you know, so to speak. And right, and and so um, there's always going to be a little bit of pushback, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. For sure, you know? and and for folks, you know, I. I uh, a lot of what we think of as, I'll take a step back, early 90s, the federal transportation, the, the federal government passed a big transportation bill, and they threw a couple pennies on the dollar for the federal transportation bill that went into like funding for bike stuff. And it meant that for many states and many cities, it was the first time government resources actually existed to hire like the city's bike planner, right? So like yep. in Portland, like half of Peabody is a bike planner, right? But like, <laughs> but, like at the time, yeah. especially like even in places like Portland, like 20, 30 years ago, that was a really big deal. Yeah. And that funding was the like add on that like the otherwise large big infrastructure coalition was part of. So like big freeway was happy to like, Oh, and here's a dime to get the, or a penny, frankly, sure. to, to, to towards the bikes and the bike folks were ecstatic. And frankly, all of the infrastructure that folks that are listening to this podcast all over Portland and all over the state and, and country, possibly the world. I mean, we're talking American politics, but sure. yes, but in this context, I, I have no idea the big institutional you, structures. You know who you are. Right. <laughs> but I'm honored if you're listening around the planet, but my read of uh, infrastructure politics, I have no idea for the rest of the country, sure. the, the planet. I know U.S. Long story short, the people that build freeways have always been willing to throw a dime or a nickel here or there to some of this stuff, but increasingly for bikes and also for transit and for pedestrians and just good livable urbanism like the number of coalitions forming around how do we shape our cities about like how do we you know I, you had madeline kovacs on a couple of years ago mm -hmm. yeah to come talk yeah, about yeah. density stuff right yep. if every Portland for everyone right yep. if every one of these units is a fourplex we can't have all of the people in those fourplexes using automobiles there's just not geometric it's impossible there's right, not right. like yep. there's not enough space um so that and whether we're talking about say air pollution like there's a huge effort underway to really tackle diesel particulates and stuff right um all and climate change like there's all of these different political movements that are springing up and each one of them can be invited to the party except that the big freeway is like the creepy uncle hanging out around the punch bowl that makes everyone else uncomfortable right on. and if we're meaningfully going to have the cool party where our friends in air quality, in affordable housing, in climate justice, in transit advocacy, 
all of these spaces, we have to re- tell the creepy uncle he needs to skip town. And it's weird because the creepy uncle like paid for your first couple months. I was going to say, yeah, creepy uncle like was funding the party. Right. He was yeah. the one that got helped you with your down payment. And so there's this sort of reckoning of asking all of our institutions to really grapple with what that excising creepy uncle from the party means. But um, the fate of the planet depends on it. Sure. Sure. And on some level, I, I get what you're saying. Like you can't. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out a better or a good metaphor for this. I, I I don't have a good metaphor, but you can't ask the people who are funding the destruction of the planet to help you save the planet. It is. I think it that may be putting it a little heavy, but I don't there know. is I can't inherent think of a better way. Uh, individuals and or corporations and institutions that make their massive profits off of the selling of automobiles. And of the selling of fossil fuels. Yeah. And th- those are antithetical to a large number of goals. And there's some money that they've been willing to give historically for both PR and for political gaining stuff. But if our political coalitions are going to be larger and more broad. And effective. And effective. Um, you have to be willing to excise some of your demons. Yeah. So in that context, the House Bill 2017, <laughs> the yes. $5 billion package, uh, had money for a lot of good things. It also had money for this freeway and a couple others around the region. We got community groups together to say, yikes, we're not so sure about that. And over the last, gosh, year and a half, uh, we've slowly been chipping away at every single one of ODOT's talking points. Um, So ODOT is out here telling us that this project will reduce traffic. There's, you know, anyone that drives, and I own a car. I live in St. John's now, and I'm driving through pretty much anywhere you go from St. John's. You have to drive through the Rose Quarter. Uh, The traffic sucks. I don't want anyone in here to think otherwise. (laughs) Uh, ODOT is saying it'll make traffic better. They're saying it will improve air quality, and they will saying it this project will reduce carbon emissions. There isn't a single freeway expansion anywhere in North America that has done those three things. Not a single like freeways don't typically reduce <laughs> well, carbon emissions. Right, right, right. It, in order to move more vehicles, you got to have more vehicles. Right. And it's. I mean, it. I'm I'm not really making a whole lot of connections here, but if you You're have it, just it just goes it goes in conjunction with each other. You have more vehicles, you have more emissions, mm-hmm. right? Well, you know? and the the classic uh, red herring is that if you know on ODOT's paper, theoretically, if there's more throughput, then you have less idling. Correct. Idling equals pollution. Oh, right. Whereas and that's throughput where, does not. Yeah. Thus, so that is ODOT's claim. Yeah. Is that their entire basis on this is is that? So here's where it gets interesting. Uh, in February fifteenth. They released their environmental assessment. So that's the document that says, here are our findings, and here's why we believe this will be the case. Right. The actual, you know, hundreds of pages of quantitative numbers, right, like that were, that ODOT is saying, we did the traffic models, and here's what it is, uh, they were missing. We did not have access to them. And so we had to ask ODOT to hand that information to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the information. FOIA, right? Right. Uh, for this one specifically, we did not have to do a FOIA. We've we've been doing some other, and that's a Freedom of Information Act for folks that aren't up on all of these acronyms. Um, we have essentially been ODOT has been recalcitrant to share all of this information with us. That is the equivalent of if it's a middle school math test. Okay, show your work. I'm mm-hmm. not even going to tell you that uh, you're wrong, but I am going to ask you. Okay, you're saying this freeway is going right. to improve traffic. Like, show your work. So once they finally got around to showing so some I'm of these I'm not disputing numbers, I'm not disputing your conclusions. Right. I just want to see how you got to this conclusion. Sure. And yeah. you know, the conclusion you're coming to is 
is anti suspect. Is, it's opposite of every other math equation that we've seen sure. anywhere in North America, right? Um, so in the process of doing this, we've been doing a lot of community outreach, um, just kind of running down our quick talk points. Obviously, expanding a freeway into the backyard of a predominantly historically black middle school has some enormous environmental justice and racism consequences. Uh, that's just frankly disgusting. Uh, you know, Harriet Tubman Middle School is it. It also it also repeats some history that Portland has, yep. at least in in public, said like we don't want to repeat this. Yeah, you know, Vanport is a great example. And Portland comes around and says, yeah, never I mean, again. I-5 is a great example. I-5 is a great, yeah. Uh, Williams, built in the first place. Williams yeah. Street is is another example. And and Portland comes around and says, yeah, never again. Um, and, and yet, here we are. The freeway expansion, the hospital, the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, all of those removed hundreds of houses of formerly African-American, the, the African-American stronghold neighborhood of Portland. Um, and the uh, blocks that were cleared for the hospital, many of them to this day are still empty. So yikes. Oh, yes. Right. That was something we learned on the uh, Dead Freeways ride uh, hosted by yep. Sean Granton. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. hospital bought up all this property and still hasn't done anything with it. Right. Yes. You know, it used to be the home of the Black Panthers of Portland. Like yep. The Black Panther chapter in Portland was really large and it was based there. So um, so that's, that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, just taking some other, t- just kind of walking through our general opposition to this. Um, climate change. 40% of Oregon's carbon emissions come from transportation. 40%. That's a big number. Um, every sector of Oregon's economy either is, well, is reducing its emissions and or there's plans in line to reduce emissions, right? So, you know, we've passed legislation that our coal plants are retiring by 2030. Well, and we've, yeah, and we've set sort of this this public example of like we're going to be a green city by sure you know, x x and, year and and we've been saying a lot of this every stuff. mayor has gotten elected on this for sure i mean ted wheeler calls himself a climate champion right right um and frankly yeah i mean uh every sector of oregon's economy statewide is largely like okay we've got a plan on how we're going to like move forward except transportation which is 40 percent of our carbon emissions and it's the only sector of our economy where emissions are growing so Dumb question. Yeah. Is that the biggest piece of the pie? Uh, at this moment, I believe the answer is yes. I'm, okay. I don't, I, I might be wrong, so don't. <laughs> um, Sorry. At 40%, it's, it's an enormous I mean, 40% <laughs> is a huge piece of, I mean, if of you, a whole pie. But. If you even consider like climate goals or 2035 vision, uh, 40% is 40% uh, yeah. over what would ideally be reduced down to you know, much less than 10. It, sure. it kind of depends on how you're measuring it by sectors and, sure. and sort of stuff, but Excuse me. What I would say is that forty uh, percent of our emissions come from transportation. Uh, even if some bizarre world where like Elon Musk and Bernie Sanders got elected co-presidents, and every <laughs> every American—I'm not saying I want this necessarily—but sure, uh, sure. if every person situation. got a like in a Tesla, right, and every automobile was just replaced with an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. we would still have to drive less because electric well, vehicles got to power those. Right. Batteries. Right? And e- we simply do not have, A, it's logistically impossible, and B, even if it wasn't, the amount of energy that it takes to move, say, 60 people via 60 automobiles, as opposed to 60 people on two to three buses, uh, that energy is, and just the spatial realities, logistics, mm-hmm. the geometric question of where sure. do you fit those 60 cars, Yeah, right? Um, so from a climate perspective, we have to change our transportation paradigms. So and by the way, we have eleven years to, you know, com- do what we can to get our emissions so that we get below one point five degrees Celsius huh. by twenty thirty. Right. So that and that you know 
that level still means that like sea levels rise and cities flood and we lose like Mount Hood doesn't have snow. This just higher prevents than, catastrophe. Higher than that means yeah, like yeah. our you know in our lifetime we don't feed people like like that kind of stuff right yeah. like my, yeah. like all of Phoenix moves here right and we fight over water right like it's bad. So given that if we knew that that is coming and we have eleven years to address that and we had a half a billion dollar infrastructure project that actually is slated to make transit move slower through the area and does nothing to address this rapid need for decarbonization uh, is not an investment in transit. Uh, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. And again, this comes down to like, as this project has been drawn up and perpetuated for the past like 10 to 15 years, like put on the drawing table and advocated for, we didn't have that urgency about climate change that I personally carry now. And you know, the number of voices that are really speaking about it are and increasingly making the connection that we have to do something about transportation, right? This is a half a billion dollar investment that, we're going to be, A, we're paying through it through bonding, which means that like younger folks will be paying taxes to pay off the debts to build it right now. Oh, right. 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 Yeah. Like, you know, our tax dollars 30 years from now are going to be paying off the debts to build a giant freeway that is the equivalent of building a giant pipeline, right? <laughs> like from a climate perspective, like yeah. this is perpetuating a, a carbonized economy at a time in which mm-hmm. every dollar we have so should be encouraging the opposite. Let's take that that little point there and, and catastrophize for a second you know uh apocalypse happens climate apocalypse whatever but somehow our economy survives we're still paying for that freeway that caused said apocalypse yes yeah and and on top of that right like we have the opportunity cost of not having a a bus facility or yeah, like sure. you know uh maybe by that maybe 20 years from now 30 years from now if the freeway doesn't get built like the we've dedicated two lanes to just buses from Vancouver, whatever the heck it right. is. Right. Yeah. And, and the purpose of that was just to show how right. absurd right. all of that. Exactly. Was. Yeah. Um, and the final talking point, at least with kind of the four big ones that we've been going over. Uh, so air quality, the pollution in the backyard of Harriet Tubman middle school, which by the way, Tubman has, uh, and it just reopened. It just reopened. Yeah. 40% of the students are black. 72% are vulnerable populations defined as just in various reasons in need of protecting, uh, it has the second or third high that census tract has the second or third highest rates of of cancer uh in the entire state of Oregon um these wow. air, access or being near pollutants especially diesel yep. uh which but as an aside there's a diesel bill going through the legislature right now that might change some of these laws down the road but even if you took care of diesel there's still all these other air particulates right that's that just from, one yeah, right just one bit of a larger bit and yeah. so um uh Asthma, uh, poor student performance, diabetes, dementia, a lot of really nasty stuff is connected to being close to freeways. Yep. And we're talking about moving a freeway into the, like moving the freeway even closer to the middle school. It, and that's something that plays out at a national level as well. If you take a map of um, at risk populations and you overlay them with our energy infrastructure, there's a correlation most typically. So poor it's, folks and communities of color end up always living near the landfills, near the pipelines, near the freeways. Correct. Uh, and, and, you know, I could talk about love canal or, or many other examples, but the, I think the, the nice thing to keep in mind is that there is a chance, or at least there's a, a glimpse of a chance to reverse that right now. And that's sort of what you're working towards is it, it's not too late. Well, and I think, um, Modern, the, the original formation of, like, 20th century environmentalism was all about, like, pick up litter on the side of the road or, like, sure. you know, like, Rachel Carson sort of these. And, and I'm not trying to 
I, I'm critiquing them. I'm I'm white middle class and an environmentalist in that context. Mm-hmm. But like, um, that is yeah. a very different. That universe did not recognize the communities of color organizing to fight a landfill that burned trash in their backyards yeah. as environmentalists, quote unquote, right? Yeah. But like big tent environmentalism is about recog- like environmental justice, right? Like mm-hmm. that framework of does everyone have access to air quality that does not make them sick, right? Like you want kids to go to school? Are you already having trouble with the achievement gap? And, the, and like just the, the disparities between students of color and, and white students at Portland public schools? Well, it doesn't help if the school literally makes them sick. If like right. p- being on that building gives them a rate of asthma that like on a fog- smoggy day, they're just not going to feel it. Right. You want you want kids to be like successful. Make sure that they're healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the school literally doesn't make them sick. <laughs> you know, and that's what this and, would do. Right? Yeah. And, and I think we've we've taken some strides towards that end. You know, uh, I think every school, for example, will serve breakfast to students who, who wants or, or needs it. Right. But again, if you're serving breakfast in a building that is right next to a freeway that is you're mm-hmm. breathing in fumes or whatever, whether or not you know you're breathing in these fumes, you know, um, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. Well, and to the know? credit, so so the school district just reopened this building, and there's a whole yes. longer story of Tubman that, for the purposes of this conversation, we don't need to go into, but just worth noting, Tubman is a really amazing facility with a really illustrious history as a yep. site of, like, African-American Portland history. Like... It was the site that stopped a lot of bus busing, desegregation stuff. Um, uh, the black community really wanted to keep Tubman intact f- because of its community virtue and value. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really exciting, amazing photos of like a big protest in the early 1980s um, about you know black Portlanders sticking it back to Portland public schools and demanding right that this institution stay open. Right? Uh, it was closed in 2012 due to low enrollment, but now that people are moving back into town, um, the school's reopening. And again, you've got a lot of old guard, old guard, black North Portland in there and a bunch of newer white folks that are moving in. And it's kind of this really interesting space watching the school district, this particular neighborhood learn how to work together and how to stick up for each other. And um, I'm really honored to have been working with them in regards to this freeway because they have a lot of other challenges going on, but they, you know, recognize that this freeway is a bad thing. Um, I got sidetracked. The final talking point was talking about uh, safety. So, ODOT claims that this project is a safety improvement, right? Because there's all these crashes. It's the highest crash rate, whatever, yes. right? Right there. Um, there hasn't, five there the hasn't been a single fatality, traffic fatality, on this stretch of freeway in over a decade. Meanwhile, oh, you're kidding. Nope, nope. There's been there have been two fatalities of homeless folks that have wandered onto the streets. Those are tragedies. Those yes. are not traffic fatalities. Those are we need to invest in social services and affordable housing, and we need to like prevent folks that are in mental states well of yeah a wider a wider freeway wouldn't is, help that right exactly right. um so we need to be investing in alternatives to that uh meanwhile the oregon department of transportation owns numerous arterials if you were to list off the top of your head what are the streets that you would least like to ride a bike on you'd mention 82nd powell, powell. <laughs> yeah. barber, barber, barber yeah lombard oh yeah barber yeah right, <laughs> right. all the bike those, lane uh, that disappears right as the cars as go the faster bridge the yeah. yeah uh ODOT owns all of those. So why does ODOT have money to widen a freeway on a stretch that has not had a fatality in over a decade, but does have money or, or doesn't have money, have money yeah, to improve? Me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does ODOT have money for this freeway, but not have money for all these other arterials? There was a middle school or excuse me, a high school student, a 16 year old from Madison high school that was hit on 82nd. Yes. Three weeks ago. Yes. She's hospitalized. Right. And like during the public comment period, <laughs> right? Like, uh, there are n- 
there is a need for a systemic sea change of how ODOT directs the resources <laughs> to actually address mobility within a metropolitan area. And that so, requires these orphan highways, as they're called, places like 82nd Avenue, Barber, et cetera, to be uh, invested in, in a manner that make them safe. Instead, we're spending all of this money on a freeway. And so you, you mentioned, I, like we were talking about interests at stake. Um, and I imagine this is an incredibly broad term, but I, I sort of picture the freight lobby as a large driving force at the state level for that. Um, and that can take various different um, actors in your mind, or I guess in the mind of No More Freeways PDX, if there were sort of three things to identify within the inner workings of ODOT that has been part of your experience in trying to interact with the organization, like what isn't working about ODOT? Like why why is this business as usual? Whereas there, I, I mean, as I see it, a great opportunity to make some really fantastic change. That's a really good question. Um, what I would say to that is as an entity... The Oregon Department of Transportation has uh, a pedagogy, right? A, a particular way of understanding what its mission is. It is an outgrowth of a particular framework that understands what transportation means, right? We're um, talking like their general culture and how they welcome in new employees into said culture. Well, and I and I will also just give a quick shout out, not... Um, there are plenty of folks that work at ODOT or have worked at ODOT. Sure, that absolutely. Are, that are actually, all of our institutions are like giant Titanics that we need different people to be steering because we're otherwise sinking, right? Like, like these are big boats and there are plenty of, I, I am not here to attack individuals, I am here to attack institutions. And by that I mean there are people fighting the good fight that are encouraging ODOT to try and move in a different direction. Yeah, And absolutely. by all means, by all means, like freeways, the, the American metropolitan world, America post-1956 with the Eisenhower Freeway Act, Interstate Act, tr fundamentally transformed American lives. Yes. In terms of suburbanization, in terms of freight and mobility, in terms of just how our communities are structured. A lot of it was for the bad. Uh, and there's a lot of particularly like <laughs> racist and terrible things that have yes. happened. Yes. Um, but I, I wish to just sort of acknowledge that, you know, our local ODOT is sort of the representation of how this happens systemically in America, right? So Say that one more time. So ODOT is the local, or and this is true of state DOTs pretty much across, across America. Across the, okay. Right. You know, local jurisdictions are much more, let me see if I can frame it in a way that is a little easier to follow. Uh, a, I mean, I'm catching it. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. When, when, you're lo when you go complain to your, you know, there's no sidewalk in front of you. You can right. go elect the bum and city council out, especially if you live in a small town, if they don't do something, right? Because, like, at local levels of government, they're really focused on that sort of stuff. Sure. But these state departments of transportation, A, don't have any political transparency, right? And B, they're answering to these state-level government entities that have freight lobbies, that have automobile lobbies, that have asphalt lobbies. There's an industrial complex. Like, I use that term that, like, a lot of really radical black folks in the late 20th century referring to the prison industrial complex sure. or like the military industrial complex. You have private sector businesses and you have government money and you have labor unions. Everyone's in each other's pockets. Right. Yeah. You know, and they, they, there's money to be made from building these things. There's money to be made from the jobs. There's money to be made sure. from the consulting, the construction, um, and the real estate that if you build a freeway, you're whatever that suburb is, how much of Beaverton and Washington County exists because we had freeways connecting it. Right. Good point. Yeah. Those places could also have existed with trains, but in America, we heavily, heavily subsidize automobiles, right? Like a universe in which instead of the Interstate Act, we built trains connecting everything. 
A streetcar uh, act. A, a yeah. you know the rap uh, the Bay Area Rapid Transit BART, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like um American cities were largely built via interstates and we are actively trying to do some restorative justice to the worst of those impacts. And that requires major changes to our land use patterns, to our transportation systems, <laughs> to what we subsidize. So we're swimming upstream in the context of fighting these things. So someone like ODOT is really powerful because they have these vaunted, the lobbyists all know each other, right? Right. And, and, and they've got, got, cons- they've got a, an amount of history behind them to say like, well, this is, this is the way we've always done it. This There's is the precedence. way it's right. worked per se. And, and, you know, and I put that in air quotes because has it, but you know, that's a whole other. Well, and, and traffic sucks. And, yeah. and I think that's worth pointing out that like, uh, in increasingly like the way our regions across the country are shaping up, like it's low income folks that are actually dealing with traffic the most, right? Like wealthier folks are moving into cities and having the opportunity to walk or live close. Like, when Portland is super gentrified and poor folks all live out in Gresham, like people are, you know, we need that freeway because poor folks got priced out to Aloha and like, how are they possibly going to get to their jobs if they can't drive? And it's like, well, we could invest in transit, (laughs) but, but that requires, but that's a different department per se. Right. That's not, not that's not an ODOT issue. Right. Right. And 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 we have some, I mean, if you watch the Super Bowl, I'm a Blazers fan. Poor Yusuf Nurkic. How many commercials? <laughs> sorry. How many commercials for any sporting event are just cars? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like the normative American assumption about you that an automobile is your way to get around, even in Portland, mm-hmm. is so fundamental to our culture, and and th- that the the freeway lobby is essentially the the massive subsidies that allow that to continue sure. to perpetuate. And I, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, a lot of people that is their only choice is to drive in. And or at it least is it's because, like highly perceived. As yeah. Such. It is because of this systemic issue of mm-hmm. pushing people out. But then also, um, you know, you have people, I'll put myself in this, in this camp where, you know, I don't think I could afford a car easily probably could if I, you know, with some uh, sacrifices, but I bike everywhere as much as I can, or I transit everywhere. But I'm also fortunate enough to live in an mm-hmm. area. You pay the money in the rent to be right. right. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think I think it's worth mentioning that that in and of itself is is a type of uh, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, privilege. privilege. Yeah, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. And and I will add to that too. Um, you know. I, I, really trying to unpack the like normative consciousness of like motordom motordom is the pr- term that i've been trying to use to like Ooh, yeah this this con concept that we are swimming in the ubiquity of the assumption that an automobile is how you get around right um and all of our subsidies that's the way you solve that problem yeah you know like right that 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 is our answer to mobility in america yeah. right um and that has a lot to do with uh uh Tocquevillian democracy, the Jeffersonian belief that we're all like spread out suburban, like, uh-huh. you know, that we're not urbanized individuals, that we all have our like. We need our, our plot of land. We need our plot of land out yeah. in the suburbs and the cars, what gets us there, right? And, and all of these are heavily. Um, I just think trying to unpack car culture is such a fascinating question, right? <laughs> like, like the movie, like I hadn't actually seen the movie Avatar until fairly recently. My girlfriend made me watch it. And I, was watching, <laughs> uh, it I enjoyed it. I, I mean, okay. it's an amazing yeah. cultural, you know. Uh, thing to watch uh, and like the way that like these people get in and they get in this like 
they get in a little case, and then suddenly they're this like fourteen foot blue thing that can fly. Oh, right, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And just that corporal idea of taking your human body and then Im- like, having something much larger and more powerful and mm-hmm. fast, like that's an automobile, mm-hmm. right? Huh. In that context of like. And that's what, and cars are heavily racialized and sexualized. Like, who drives a Subaru? Who drives a Cadillac? Who drives a Bentley? Who, who like, drives a truck? Who, who drives, drives a truck? A, well, Minivan. You know, yeah. They're all these yeah. like, and and before you roll your eyes, it's like, okay, well, whichever one of those that you own, if we made you switch out and drive a truck that had a bunch of American flag bumper stickers, sure. Confederate flag stickers on it, like how comfortable would you You'd be? Like, oh, or this minivan, isn't me. or right. yeah, or like, sports car. They're yeah, super gendered, and not. and yeah. you know. The same way we feel about our bikes, right? Mm-hmm. Like in different ways, right? But, but to a whole, whole other <laughs> yeah. level, right? Uh, but the bike's a freedom machine. <laughs> well, and I think that, um, and I personally, when I think about my relationship to my bike and just bikes in general, so much of it has to do with like having a father that loved bikes, uh, that had a, that I got bikes for Christmas, right? <laughs> that, right that like uh, had tools in a garage that yeah. like learned how to fix a flat. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a white male that you know I can feel comfortable in public space on a bike mm-hmm. uh, yeah I could go into a bike shop and people would not talk down to me yeah um, you know it was not seen as a like negative status Certainly. symbol the Certainly. way it is in many other places yeah oh definitely and and what I'm what I'm articulating right is like that is what we're up against right like we have to honestly acknowledge that so many folks have those emotional connections to their automobiles yeah yeah and I would even say like you know your your Guthrie your your illustration of of the bike as a freedom machine i would even say like you know 1950s 1960s people would say that about the car Mm. i think um also it's the context of like that that to me is a very like it it comes in uh like i bring my own past to that statement as well like the allowances that bicycling has given me versus people who aren't like young white Americans, for example, uh, there's a lot of privilege associated with that in how, as Aaron was talking about, um, the perception of somebody on a bike. So that has been afforded to me for better or worse. Um, and it's a great part of who I am today. Uh, but it's not the case for everybody. And so I think no matter what transit form you look at, you're always going to find those, those, uh, divides or, or at least those conceptual, uh, breakdowns of, of, status within transportation definitely and i and i'm i come to this too as somebody that like you know I'm, i've spent a lot of time studying and thinking about and being an advocate for you know alternative transportation and good urban form on these and you know t- using them to tackle social justice questions um i really like hamburgers mm-hmm. i'm gonna have a tough time with the future in which i don't <laughs> eat burgers when the cow is extinct when the cow is extinct <laughs> or at least from a like the hamburger is gonna cost the mcdonald's hamburger is gonna cost 12 bucks because that's sure. we've appropriately placed priced the carbon of of eating an animal um, and when I think about why I love hamburgers, it reminds me of, again, you know, my dad or a basketball game or like how much is a hot dog part of like going to a sporting oh, event, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't eat meat. I love, I love me a hot dog. Right. I love me a not dog. Right. And it's totally because of the nostalgia of it. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. And, and recognizing, um, using that like, okay, well, what are the corporal feelings I have associations I have with meat? And I'm a, you know, 30 something guy that my metabolism still really hasn't changed. Like I still like, especially Lucky. biking. It, I can't afford it at this point. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, especially if I'm in the summer, like pedal palooza season when I'm riding like 20 miles a day. Right. Like, you know, I eat like seven meals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that, that fundamental question of understanding that cars play that emotional and cultural yeah. role yeah, yeah. in American yeah. society. Totally. And how do we build different 
alliances and allegiances around understanding you can still have some of these corporal experiences or the, the things that you're associated with them if we provide really excellent transit or yep. if we provide yes. a universe in which everyone feels comfortable riding a bike and not just, oh, the bike lane's wider, but like mm-hmm. people aren't afraid of racist cops or, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. or like women are, you know aren't having men whistle at them on the streets, right? Like those are real things. Or I can bike on the spring water alone in the dark. Right. And not feel uncomfortable. Right. Or there's lights on the spring water. And so I I think that's kind of the, the, for me, it's always the like, but we can have our cake and eat it too, is, is pushing against things such as the freeway expansion and investing (gasps) that money in opportunities in terms of the transit sector. If you have ever sat in a car and been pissed at traffic if you have ever had a commute that's longer than you desired having transit is what allows that experience in between so it's not saying don't drive it's saying we're going to mainly do transit but in fact on those times like you might actually get more relative value out of your experience in an automobile than you've ever even been able to conceive within our traditional transit structure because of the infrastructure in place via alternative transit so yeah. I think you can I think you can have your cake and eat it too. It's just a very difficult argument to make. I I think it is a good one though. Well, and I think uh there's just these changing paradigms that we live in now, right? Yeah. Where like our cities are densifying and they just have to for mm-hmm. all of these different reasons of affordability and climate and things. Um and population. And population. I mean, mm-hmm. uh and you know, a world in which when I do need to drive, the freeways don't have congestion because there's congestion pricing like i would happily pay five dollars to drive across town and not have traffic if those five dollars went into paying for the bus system that meant that the four days of the week that i need to get across town but i'm not carrying a giant package with me or whatever the thing is that i need the car for like or if part of those five dollars helped subsidize somebody who couldn't afford those five dollars right Right on yeah and Mm -hmm. you know someone who loves cars more than i do will be like you know what i'll pay the five dollars every time if it means that the cars in front of me aren't there because they're on a bus somewhere else right right Mm -hmm. right this is about op and and let's just be fully clear like there's huge questions of regressivity with congestion pricing Definitely. i think mm-hmm. we talked about this last time i was here but um you can have a exemptions for low-income workers so if you you know trimet has a low-income fare you could have it if you make the same amount of money that you get the low-income fare for trimet that you also get a low income you, you, t- you don't pay right. tolls, right if you have the bar right 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 there mm-hmm. yeah uh b just making sure that the money is going towards transit and not freeway expansion so odot is like we'll go with value pricing but like we're going to use it to build more freeways right, right? and that's right. like that's like having a price a carbon tax to build a coal plant <laughs> right well like, the whole point is of taxes it's to get- interesting that that's the response because i mean we're all we're all human i can totally see somebody saying like yeah you know if you don't eat cake for a month i'll give you five dollars and i'll be like great i'm gonna take that five dollars and i'm gonna go buy me a fruit pie (laughs) or three you know yeah well the 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 issue here though is right like i was mentioning these like institutional relationships and the Mm -hmm. freeway industrial complex this big scary sounding thing right but there is this network of lobbyists and corporate asphalt builders and construction agencies and and union trade public building trade sector stuff and they all are I mean, uh, among certain left-wing circles that are more skeptical of unions, the joke is that unions would build a bridge to hell if they got <laughs> public labor. To, you know, like, if they were union jobs associated sure, with it, right? Sure, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. And I stand in solidarity with, with unionization and unions in general, but I, I'm trying to articulate this general critique that uh, just because something is a government infrastructure project, 
we need to be asking questions about and just because something is being paid union labor just because it's creating jobs just even right Mm -hmm. yeah and let's just also point out that like when you build a freeway the amount of money of those projects is enormous and most of that money goes to asphalt and concrete which is very expensive and not very labor intensive right so if you build a bike lane the amount of like signs and painting and like like that's very labor intensive so bike and pedestrian projects typically make two to three times more jobs than freeway projects and highway projects because much more of the money is going into the local design type elements Ah, as opposed to big slabs of concrete so back to the the funding and the money for a minute um we mentioned sort of these hidden highways um barber powell whatever and possibly you know if we're if we got x amount of dollars for this highway expansion why can't we funnel that money into instead of a highway expansion into these other roads would odot argue like well we got this approval for freeway expansion we can't use it for anything else so we either use it or we we don't get it at all you know in which case then why do you hate freedom that is exactly well i don't know about the freedom line that, that, that is exactly but, yeah. odot's talking points and my response uh. to that is wow uh, yeah like sure sucks that we don't know who writes the laws like we do like 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 the notion that um this money it has to be articulated for this project is uh-huh. something that is written into the house bill 2017 right we can write another bill Right, like if if it's a good point, a yeah. universe in which the city of Portland and a couple of legislators around the region said, "You know what? We originally said that this project money was going to go for this project," um, and we'll talk a little. I I want to uh, talk about congestion pricing in a minute, and mm-hmm. but um, and specifically how the framework of killing this project. But just coming back to your point for a second, um, this the notion that this money has to go to this project and not to the other orphan highway projects or whatever else we could do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just a failure of the imagination that somehow this is not possible and it's going to require bold political leadership. Fortunately, we have elections coming up. And so if we have ele- leaders that aren't willing to be bold leaders, then we need to vote them out of office because we have 11 years to decarbonize our economy. And I don't think that poor black kids should get asthma just from going to school. Right. On. That is what the hell is uh, this is about. Right? right on. And I think that we can make the case as well that like, look, house bill 2017 was this big, package that came through this was one element of it after three years of community engagement there have been about a couple dozen organizations that have said no you're doing this wrong you need to go do a full environmental impact statement including portland public schools and i I can run down the full list of opposition it's many amazing institutions including folks that we didn't think personally i didn't think we were going to sway oh really and we've we've won some some more moderate groups that for whatever reasons weren't ready to i didn't think we could win but we've won them um you know, uh, on top of that, we got the IPCC report saying we've got 11 years to decarbonize our economy. Uh, and frankly, a lot of the air quality stuff at Tubman, we only really recently recognized how bad all that stuff was. Yeah. Um, and uh, ODOT's what? entire... So we have multiple reasons to say we should reassess this particular project. And here's where I'm going to just go into the weeds a little bit about... So ODOT's traffic modeling... ODOT has said, like I mentioned at the beginning, that they say it's going to improve congestion and improve air quality. And because the congestion goes away, therefore the air pollution goes down and therefore the carbon emissions go down. We finally looked through all their numbers and it appears that they have certain assumptions based into those data <laughs> that the bridge... Our, Guthrie, the bridge. <laughs> Guthrie might already know oh, some of these. Oh, yeah, okay. please continue. Uh, if th- this whole process is set up to be like we have independent... like. 
we've done the analysis about building this thing or not building this thing, and we think it's better to build this thing. Well, okay, what are the assumptions you're making? Digging through the 600 pages of data, we've recognized via a tiny little footnote that then sent us to another page, another document, to a tiny another footnote, that they are fully expecting this project and modeling this project under the assumption that a new Columbia River crossing yep. gets built. So there is, a, there is a 12-lane freeway expansion that recently died in 2014 and yes. has had minor skirmishes about from the Washington side of trying to get the project up and running, but like is nowhere near. But wasn't it the Washington side that killed it? Yes, but um, there's some new Democratic energy. Uh, there, there were Republicans in ex-urban Clark County that mm-hmm. fought it because they didn't want the crime train. They were afraid of... Oh. The, they were afraid okay. of the yellow line because it went through black North Portland as if like... <laughs> I mean, like they haven't. Well, been, they haven't I've been, heard the line. Yes, well, as, they haven't been as, to North Portland as in a the while. max goes, right. so does crime. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. and um, well, and aside, we we were talking about the emotional response people have to automobiles. Sure, there is an emotional response people have to public transportation. That's a good point. And yeah. to me, like the max is dope, and to somebody that has a Confederate flag in exurban Clark County, the max represents crime and young people and like right. this whole other like. Even if it's like, even if the other is not poor black people and like young wealthy white people, like to them that's still like we don't want that either. Sure, right, sure. Like mm-hmm. the queers or whatever the you know whatever that public transit that represents. Uppity Portlanders, yeah, that whatever. Come in and we don't and want buy that, stuff. Right, we yeah. don't want someone from that neighborhood to be able to like get to our neighborhood without a car. Right, yeah. like, um, so the CRC is essentially a fire hose of traffic. Because you and and the modeling that they're predicting is a six lanes in each direction, right? So the Rose Quarter is I five is is six lanes total. This is a six lane in each direction, in each direction. three billion dollar project, right? This freeway is half a billion dollars. It's still a lot of money. Three billion dollar project. We have no foreseeable future of of getting it built anytime immediately so soon. You were aware of this. Most of this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. So, so in order for this half billion dollar project to work, we need to. For it to be create a necessary. $3 billion project. For it to be necessary, for, for this half a billion dollar freeway project to pencil out as legitimate, for, justifiable. For, yeah, for the third grade math to uh, show its proof, right. so to speak. Right. You would have to spend $3 billion on this new bridge. And A, it's cost overruns. It's going to be way more than $3 billion. B, you know, the the extent to which Washington County or the Washington State and Oregon are going to get along and what that bridge will look like. That's sure. the whole years worth of political tussling um but they so that project is like very conceptual but they are trapped they are modeling their traffic based on from the year 2019 all the way to 2045 but in that house bill 2017 that passed they also said that odot had to move forward with congestion pricing odot got federal approval back in december of 2018 to move forward with congestion pricing. They, they put in the application. They actually no got kidding. it in January. Yeah, so huh. ODOT is moving forward. It could easily be implemented in the next three to five years. Without the freeway expansion. Well, all of so all of the modeling from the congestion pricing stuff uh-huh. uh, assumes that all of the freeways get built. With okay. that said, in those reports, it says, even if the freeways get built, there will be terrible congestion. Like the, the, Those reports <laughs> openly admit that the freeway that expansions there will be congestion. won't do jack shoot for... I don't know what you the, can swear on. I can't. Yeah, cool. totally. Be, I would rather. Oh, totally. I've been doing a lot of radios. So I'm, <laughs> right. I, I was on KBU this morning. I mean, so. censor yourself if you want, but don't feel like All you right. have to either. Yeah, I was on KBU this morning, so um, it, it won't do anything for. Uh, the, the expansions will not do anything for congestion, as right we've on. been saying all along. Yeah. So 
ODOT is modeling traffic between now and 2045. They're assuming all of these other massive freeway projects get built except this one in their models, but they aren't studying congestion pricing. And on top of that, there's all of these other specific modelings of assumptions of what gas is going to cost, of where population growth is going to yeah. go, whether there's a carbon... Like, every single one of these is based in a manner that legitimizes and justifies this project. So they've, they've, they've messed with the math on it so much to help make this project sound legitimate. Yeah. And we've pointed out all of these things, and many of them are, like, demonstrably violations of the NEPA process, right? Like, the National Environmental Protection Act process uh-huh. that we are going to be challenging ODOT on. So all of their assumptions are flawed. They've been hiding all of the data in all of these things that either we, like, wouldn't be given or we had to foyer or we had to, like, actively shame them into, like, giving to us. Yeah. Right? And in that data, we ultimately came to the conclusion that this project is only really necessary because ODOT expects to have a giant fire hose of traffic being built soon that, therefore, this project is necessary to address. Vis-a-vis the dead Columbia River crossing. Right. Yep. They have not even modeled if congestion pricing without the expansion would solve the problem. They have not modeled if this freeway expansion is necessary without the CRC. They have not modeled whether congestion pricing and no CRC combined would make a difference. They have not modeled what would it look like to remove the ramps or only keep them open during blazer games or something, which is a huge part of the congestion, right? They have not modeled what it would look like to put signs up along the area to like encourage people to merge in the right places or have like the variable signs. Multiple, much more cheaper, effective solutions mm -hmm that would actively change the freeway congestion and therefore the air quality and therefore the carbon emissions. And ultimately have chosen to disregard the health and safety of some right. of Portland's most vulnerable residents. Right. So yeah. going back to the whole like third grade math. Right. What we have here is a story problem where it's asking for multiple answers. Second grade math? Is that what you're saying? Two oh. minutes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Has multiple answers, and they're saying, like, okay, so find the answer for this situation and the answer for this situation and the answer for this situation. And whoever's doing the math goes, okay, here's your answer. Okay, well, what about if the Columbia River crossing? Oh, it's the same answer. Okay, well, what about this other thing? Ah, it's the same answer, too. Right. Essentially, they want one answer for all these multiple situations. Essentially, a freeway industrial complex has dressed up all of the situations in which this could possibly be a necessary investment and they've hidden them so that our groups have a really tough time of being able to point it out Ah. they've rejected us multiple times when we've asked for an extension and now listeners you're listening to this at friday at Uh, 8 p.m or later on march 30th i guess is what or 29th february 29th you have until 5 p.m at april 1st if anything that you've heard me say uh rankles you Uh, to go to www.nomorefreewayspdx. Uh, you can go to www.nomorefreewayspdx.com slash public comment. Uh, either you'll get there. I've got the link already Fantastic. posted in our notes. Um, so you can, we have numerous, Portland Public Schools has come out asking for an environmental impact statement. Um, what we're essentially saying is the research ODOT has done has not been effective enough and you need to go back and, and do more and you need to study if congestion pricing could fix it without the expansion. Yeah, uh, because some, some could even argue negligent. Yes, indeed. Um, and every single comment from a listener, uh, if, even better if you're in Oregon, if you're not in Oregon, you want to comment or you have a connection, go for it. But particularly folks in Oregon and Southwest Washington, please, um, you know, talking about bikes, talking about ch- the necessity of moving away from cars, talking about that it's, it's, an, it's atrocious that 
poor black kids are going to get asthma because ODOT can't be bothered to like not widen a freeway in the backyard of Harriet Tubman Middle School. Uh, that you're upset that Vision Zero, that 16-year-old kids outside of Madison High School are getting hit by cars on 82nd Avenue and ODOT doesn't have money for that, but we have money for a freeway expansion. Uh, if you're upset, upset that the buses in this quarter are actually going to move slower. How could you possibly spend half a billion dollars on a transportation project in the center of downtown <laughs> Portland and transit is less effective? Yes. I mean, that is, yes. is mind-boggling, given what we know about our goals. That's, that's more than just um, uh, induced demand. Right. I mean, that's, that's almost... It's, it's required demand <laughs> right. in a way. You're requiring people to drive at that point. Well, and transit yeah. scales, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, totally. if a, if transit's working at one bus every ten minutes, what it means once every five minutes or two minutes, like you can fit so many more people in there. Yeah. Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk much about the other work that's happening with the Albina Vision. That's a whole other oh, amazing conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to yeah. say that there's this really awesome, cool organization that has this restorative justice approach to taking that stretch of Broadway and that whole stretch of the Rose Quarter that's really unfriendly to walk in and bike in and what would it look like if we had a bunch of really tall buildings and stuff and how can we and and that group has not officially opposed the freeway as much as they're trying to play their political cards and i respect that deeply um you can have urbanization but if you don't have public space you don't have a city that's my really big takeaway which is to say that like if the albina vision came out but like we didn't reduce the amount of cars in that space you'll have a bunch of big tall buildings but no one will be like out on the street meeting each other yeah like everything that we love about bikes you know, the corporal experience of why it's so great to walk in a city or ride a bike is based on feeling comfortable in public space yeah, and a yeah, universe in yeah. which, you know, we are ramming all of these big streets and cars through it. Um, you might have a bunch of housing, but it won't be a neighborhood, right? Yeah, right on. All those big buildings right next to the Broadway Bri- or the Burnside Bridge on the east side, there's some amazing architecture. It's and true. like, I like all those buildings. Not all of it all that old either. It's all very new, but yeah. all of those four and five lane roads, like, when I go to Cup and Bar, I'm not going to like sit outside and like breathe the exhaust of all of those lanes of <laughs> true, traffic. True. And if that those cars weren't there, I would, right? Yeah. True. So uh, I hope listeners have enjoyed this. Uh, www.nomorefreewayspdx.com. Uh, support your local freeway revolt. There's a massive reason that this infrastructure is unnecessary, and there's a massive freeway industrial complex, just like there's right a prison on. industrial complex and landfill industrial complex and pipeline industrial complex. Yeah. We have to retire the bad things of the 21st worth- century. It's worth mentioning that even if you don't live in Oregon, even if you don't live in Portland, even if you don't live in Southwest Washington, there is something in here that is definitely relevant to your situation. If you live in Detroit, Michigan, if, if you, you live in a place that has roads, <laughs> right? If you live in Oklahoma City, where wherever you're at, there is something in here that is relevant to your situation vis-a-vis this highway industrial. There's project. probably a there's probably a freeway expansion in your community, and you should, if you have the means and time to spend 10 hours a week for a year and a half of your life to go organize folks in opposition to it. <laughs> I, I heartily, I'm uh, happy to mail you some buttons to tell you how it works. Hats off to you. And yeah. thank you so much for doing the hard work. Thank you. thank you, Aaron. It's been, it's been an interesting experience and, um, and definitely one I've learned a lot from, I mean, I, I've worked on a lot of campaigns. I, you know, professionally do political consulting stuff and actually being on in opposite to government. I, I'm hardly going to, it's a little unfair to compare ODOT to Trump, but I will say <laughs> that in a, in the spirit of fighting the resist, like resisting, normative government actions as opposed to like supporting a government tax increase uh-huh. to actually be on the other side of something and like trying to point out the ways in which our government's moving forward with things that they shouldn't be and actually interrogating what needs being part of a coalition of no as opposed to a coalition of yes is a different yeah. strategy yeah. and it's it's been very 
it's given me a lot more respect for a lot more radical folks that are fighting the front lines on tenant advocacy and, and pipelines and, and yeah. things that I've always like supported but never like emotionally cared that much about. If that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say uh, the uh, in conclusion, no, but no for a better future. No for a more optimistic future and a future that you and I can be a part of. Yes, and there, I mean, it's a pivot yeah. by all means, right? It's it's this is not. The irony is, uh, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in these, like, yes-in-my-backyard spaces. Like, there's going to be this big... The, the work Madeline's been doing with yeah, yeah. Portland for Everyone. Portland for Everyone. There's going to be a massive housing conference NIMBYism, so to speak. Yeah. The, the irony is that I spent a lot of time fighting NIMBYism, and this whole thing is not a freeway in the backyard of Harriet Tubman Middle School. Mm-hmm. Which, I, and I know we're short on time, I'll just say that, like, it's instructive to me that local control and fighting for good things in your neighborhood is not inherently bad. The problem is when the system is set up so that old white retired grumpy old dudes complain that there's affordable <laughs> housing in the neighborhood or like a homeless shelter yeah. or something like yep. that's yeah. bad yeah but the idea that one should have some self-control self-determinism of what their neighborhood looks like i mean we all should work you know about I mean, that's point democracy se- we that's, all should that's how democracy works we all should be able to work like 0.7 fte and every yes. every thursday and friday spend the time reading books at your local elementary school at your community garden yes you know helping shape your neighborhood in in like constructive ways that you are participating in that process and we should also participate in your neighborhood association or right. whatever like yeah. the iron a lot of these folks are like oh this local control stuff is ruining our cities because they're not letting development in i'm like well it is true that these structures are currently being utilized to like nimbyism is stopping things we need sure but the problem isn't local control inherently the problem is like wealthy inequality wealth and inequality are calcifying mm. certain government structures to fight desperately needed change whereas having the opportunity to stop a fossil fuel infrastructure because it happens to be in your backyard yeah you might have some self-interest in the fact that you don't want your kid to have asthma but if you're also part of the fight to decarbonize society that's a good fight to have and yeah. if you can wield that this is my backyard and i'm protecting the planet vis-a-vis my backyard i think that that's a noble cause definitely yeah Aaron, thank you so much for coming yes. on. You gentlemen are wonderful. <laughs> right back at you. All right. Um, let's www.nomorefreewayspdx.com. And those, first. those will also be in our show notes. Special edit. Put it in out in time for you to give a comment, should you like to. We're not biased at all, but we do love hearing Aaron <laughs> talk about these things. <laughs> right on. Thanks for tuning in. But now we are. Yes. Okay. Big thanks to Aaron Brown for coming in. Oh, Yes. Yes. Man, and so much energy you brought with that, right? Yeah. I feel like I don't know. It's prop maybe just me, but I could I could chat about that stuff for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I I could listen to it. All right. Um let's do some calendars. Okie dokie. I love, I love, I love, I love don't don't ever use that. Too bad. Hey. hey. You know, it's not on the calendar, but since we just heard Mr. Mooney here, he's going to be with us mm-hmm. come June. Yeah. And Pedal Palooza. And not just Pedal Palooza, Podcast Palooza. That's true. Coming we'll, up during Pedal Palooza. We've got a ride. If you want to come check out how the sausage is made yes. at the Sprocket Podcast. We will try to work in some interviewing while we bike. Indeed. And we will be biking and talking and podcasting. We're honestly we're not entirely sure how this is gonna shake down, but it's gonna shake. It's gonna be <laughs> fantastic. It's gonna be great. 
All right. So onto the regular calendar. Hey, we talked about this already, but I'm going to say it one more time. Very important calendar item. The public comment period for the freeways is still open until 5 p.m. April 1st. You will be listening to this on March 29th. And so you've still got a couple days. It says, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. This is a gargantuan investment in fossil fuel infrastructure, which you've already heard. And we've had 11 and we've only got 11 years to tackle climate change. The public comment period represents the best opportunity for community groups and individuals to speak out against this costly boondoggle. Mm-hmm. And another important calendar update, and one that I think I'm going to go home and go to the website to make sure that <laughs> I think the Guthrie ride will be on there this year. Okay. Uh, Shift2bikes.org has the Pedal Palooza calendar posted already. Yes. Which means I need to get on my game. Get your game. Get going. your game on. More yes. importantly, get your bike ride on. So I found out. I'm so excited about this. Ooh, do tell. The Bowie Prince ride <gasps> is back. It's back. Yes. Lillian oh. and Diablo have joined forces Whoa, again. Oh shit! Power yeah. duo. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Um, and hey, Pedal Palooza ride leaders, get in contact with us. Uh, call us, or text, or instant, or whatever. P- plug your rides. Yeah, plug your rides. And if you want to be on the show, we still got time before Pedal Palooza. We might be able to pencil you in. That's true. Would love to talk with you about Pedal Palooza and your ride. I know it's the month of June, but I feel like spiritually, it's always Palooza. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's just such a great, great event. Uh, the second Thursday of every month, <laughs> <laughs> the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. Last Friday of every month, the Baltimore Bike Party. And... Here's a new one. Every, or no, sorry. Not a new one yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Reset. Every second Sunday of every month here in Portland, the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. Every Saturday morning in April, the Pastry Ride, which is a new addition to our this calendar. This is the new one I was about to read. It is a perennial cycle, cycle in MSP. Yes, that's... The airport code for Minneapolis. Oh, so you're cool like us PDX folks. I see how it is. <laughs> I don't know if they actually say that there. <laughs> Do they I've look just, at you weird? I've just been saying it. Like when you greet your bus driver or say thank you. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm doing it, though. <laughs> I, I've been doing it. I yep. was there all week this week um, and said thank you every time I left. Sometimes right as I walked up front or sometimes mm-hmm. in the back shouting it. Hey, you yeah. know, 15 years from now, you're going to go to Minneapolis and everybody's going to be saying People thank you. People be doing it. And you'd be like, I was saying thank you before it was cool. <laughs> before it was cool. <laughs> um, hey, speaking of, I'm going to pause from the calendar for a minute here because I was in Minneapolis and it's worth mentioning. Great riding. Finally got to ride some, like, some quality time. Nice. Rented, speaking of perennials. So I, I heard about the pastry ride because I was at Perennial Cycle. Um, there in Minneapolis. And what rent. is Perennial Cycles? It's a it's a bike shop. It is like the Minneapolis Clever Cycle. Ooh! In fact, when we mentioned that Anna worked at Clever Cycle previously, they were like, "Oh yeah, we know that shop." Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so 
just like Clever Cycle, I rented a Brompton from these people mm-hmm. and uh, got to ride it around all over. We went to many bike shops. <clears throat> um, one bike shop we went to was Angry Catfish, which also has a really awesome espresso bar there okay. in, in, the, in the shop. And um, they have a bakery next door that's not part of the shop itself. There's just happens to be a bakery next door. So we went there, got some nice uh, danishes and, and croissant. Mm. And we're browsing, and someone recognized my voice. <laughs> what? Uh, and was a listener. So Eric of Catfish, thank you for listening. That was a cheers we tried to do for you. Here, wait. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah thank you for listening eric and thank you for the patch and stickers and um maybe i'll mail a patch over to you yeah yeah any uh any lessons brought home to our bike shops in portland what what could we do what could bike shops do man i don't i don't know if i mean honestly like there's there's so many parallels okay um no i i can't say like I'm sure there is. I just haven't had time to okay. digest. But it, infrastructure-wise, I saw a lot more kids on bikes. Yeah. But there's also a lot more separated bike infrastructure. Yeah, the bike lanes definitely help with your 70 or 7 to 70s. Yes, yes. Indeed. Well, April 1st through 30th in Portland is the Three Speed Adventure Challenge. More details in our headlines. Yes, uh, also April 1st through 30th. In Minneapolis is their 30 Days of Biking Challenge. Nice. Gosh. Starting in... Yeah, that's a good time to start. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone organizing a 30 Days of Biking Challenge here in Portland. Well, we have... um, We have have the Bike More Challenge. Yeah, Bike More. Yeah. That's usually in May? June now, I believe. I think it coincides with Pedal Palooza. Ah, (laughs) That's great. I'm going to put a big, like, asterisk. Okay. but yeah, I think it used to be in like September, October, but they moved it to spring because there tend to be more yeah. people on bikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, we have April 2nd, the Bikes of Wrath at the Regal Fox Tower Stadium. It is yes. indeed happening. So We got tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Um, super pleased as punch to have Charlie back in town. Um, just a sweetheart of a film and really excited that I'll be able to go enjoy it with yeah. so many folks in Portland. April 13th, tax day. And also, oh, the shit. lad's 500. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't done yours either no. yet? Yeah, I haven't either. Ugh. Uh, yeah, taxes. That's a whole nother it's, episode. So, I don't know how complex yours are. We don't have to get into the weeds. Mine's like one of the easiest things to do. Yeah. It's just a matter of like sitting down and doing oh. them. Well, I envy and, you. I'm going to put it that <laughs> oh, way. Okay. <laughs> I, I just... I don't even know why I have so much resistance to it. Mm. I like the days in which I could go find the free link to file TurboTax or whatever. Those are over you. for you. God, they have they been over. They They're, might be over for me this year. Actually, I haven't I haven't really checked. But this this year, if you've ever mixed six different forms of income and trying oh, to start an LLC in Oregon, yeah, you might yeah. have tax problems. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see where that might complicate. Things yeah, for you. I finally yeah. bit the bullet, and uh, I I'm, I decided it's worth it to tr- like help have somebody else help me with it this okay. year. But um, well, you're so paying for convenience, and you're paying for your oh, own sanity. Not even convenience. Paying I'm paying for, for your... somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> 
So enough about taxes. April 24th is the Sturmy Archer Hub Overhaul Workshop. This isn't a ride, although you could ride a bike there. This is sort of a workshop that uh, our good friend Sean Granton is putting mm-hmm. on on how to overhaul a Sturmy Archer Hub. You've heard him talk about these legendary hubs on our show before. Mm-hmm. This will be at Clever, or sorry, <laughs> at Golden Pliers here in Portland at 7 p.m. Uh, if you've never overhauled a Sturmy Archer, they are super fun to work on. By the way, really? So, yeah. If you like, if you looked at a Nexus Seven Speed and you're like, "That's too complicated," um, a there's some really great stuff on, on. I think Golden Wrench or Golden Monkey. It's a bike shop out of San Francisco. Has excellent documentation on tearing down their okay. hubs. That's a total aside. But Sturmy Archers are super fun to work on. I feel like they're one of the most rewarding hubs to make work again. Wow. That almost makes me want to get a Sturmy Archer just to overhaul now. Yeah, or go check out the workshop at Golden Pliers <laughs> at 7 p.m. on April 24th. <laughs> <laughs> May 15th is the Santa Cruz Ride of Silence in memory of friends and loved ones killed by cars while riding bikes. Uh, this meets at Abbott Square for a 6 p.m. departure. Greg encourages listeners to seek out a Ride of Silence event in your town. So yes. thank you, Greg for posting that event and uh yeah we hope that you have good attendance for that may 17th through 19th is filmed by bike right here in beautiful portland oregon oh yeah and actually next week we will have drew coleman who is one of the accepted filmmakers for the 2019 festival um really neat film which covers the state of cyclocross talking about the origins of cyclocross particularly in regards to its um i would say decently so genesis here in portland um and all about what that means for the scene so um yeah really excited to have drew on next week don't get starry-eyed don't get starry-eyed it's okay (laughs) It's a small studio. <laughs> you'll, you'll get a chance to know each other. Right on. <laughs> May 26th, the P-Town Throwdown 2000, sorry, 2019. This is uh, at Daddy's Board Shop. We've talked about this when we had the Northwest Skate Coalition in. And also some upcoming film by bike tour dates. Ithaca, New York, March 28th. That is actually today as we're recording this. So, um... It's past. Victor, Idaho, May 17th. Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, May 29th. Crested Butte, Colorado, June 27th. Dallas, Texas, June 29th. Detroit, July 12th. Missoula, Montana, September 15th. Tito, if you do not take my nieces there, I will be very upset. Bendigo, Australia, October 4th. Akron, Ohio, November 3rd. Keep it real, Akron. Do so. And uh, so so excited to be in Akron. Uh, The Miles of Portraits team will be taking a tour de REI in the southwest. They will be riding their bikes 2,000 miles from Los Angeles to Santa Fe, New Mexico, stopping at REIs along the way to share their story. Uh, We shared a uh, postcard from one of our listeners connecting in with Annalisa and Eric. And you still have time because if you want to check it out, it is April 4th at Paradise Valley, Arizona, April 9th at Tucson, Arizona. If you're in Tucson, say hi to Tucson for me. I love that town. Uh, May 4th, Santa Fe, New Mexico. May 11th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Just remember it. to take that left at Albuquerque. Exactly. Yes. Don't take a right. Well, actually, no, screw it. Go check out the Gila and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a running joke. Uh, um, oh, is it? <laughs> like Warner Brothers cartoons. Oh, okay. Like, 
Bugs Bunny will pop up out of a hole and like realize he's not where he was supposed to be. Oh, I should have taken that left at Albuquerque. Oh, okay. Something to that effect. That cultural reference is lost on the person who didn't have much TV yeah. access when they were growing. I'm old and I I also watched old cartoons. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Do your thing. What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? The Urban Adventure League has a challenge for you inner internal geared folks. It is the three-speed adventure of April 2019. Quote, it's about doing things with or on a three-speed bicycle that some people would unfairly consider, quote, beyond its abilities, his emphasis, his emphasis there. That is our good friend Sean Granton of the Urban Adventure League. Here are the five challenges. One, ride your three-speed at least 15 miles in one ride. Two, climb a 5% or more grade with a cumulative elevation of 100 feet. Three, a bit of dirt or unpaved action in a cumulative of a half mile. Four, coffee outside via three-speed. And five, a bike overnight or bike camping by three speed. And there's more details at the Urban Adventure League's website, which we'll link to it. Um, but I saw the post on, on Instagram and I was like, whoa, this is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. It almost makes me want to have an internal speed or an internal three speed. Um, but it's, I don't it, have one yet. It's never too late <laughs> never to too officially late join. <laughs> I think yes. you're, I think you're an unofficial member at this as point. As much as I've trolled Sean about this, eventually uh, I will. I think I just have to plunge and get one, right? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're looking for a twofer, Portlanders can climb the 5% grade on interstate and maybe find out where all those nails are coming from. Oh, yeah. Which is also that's, not part of our headlines. It's not in our headlines. But it's been happening. But it's I, been, yeah. So I didn't There is it. a reward out there now. $1,000. So I don't ride interstate often, but I had a doctor's appointment last week, and I picked up no less than 12 nails on the interstate Holy bike path. Holy shit, really? Yes. And I have photos to prove it because we're in the age of the internet. Right. Um, but I was like, wow, these are awfully shiny nails. Somebody must be going out of their way to put these in the bike lane. You were going north or south? North. North. Huh. Yeah, north in the bike lane. So enough where it definitely doesn't seem accidental. Oh, gosh, yeah. no. I mean, like, this has been a thing for... I mean, there's a $1,000 reward for whoever can find out who's throwing nails in the bike lane. Right. Honestly, I feel like on a weekend, maybe just a chill out in a in a camp chair, <laughs> <laughs> like a speed cam is in order. Right. Who knows? Uh, anyhow, those dang scooters are back. Oh, no. Gosh, darn it. No scoot scoot for you. Oh, wait, just kidding. They'll be coming by potentially... On April 26th, uh, this is a release from the Portland Bureau of Transportation, courtesy Dylan Rivera, and it says, uh, responding to input from thousands of Portlanders, the Portland Bureau of Transportation today announced new measures to improve public safety and protect city parks as part of a one-year pilot program that could have shared electric scooters return to Portland streets by late April. The shared electric scooter pilot program starts April 26th and lasts until April 26, 2020, a.k.a. a year. It follows a 120-day pilot program in 2018 that showed that e-scooters have the potential 
to help reduce congestion and pollution, but it also raised concerns about people. Emphasis mine. Uh, <laughs> I love how you, how you said that. About, about people riding e-scooters on sidewalks in violation of state traffic laws, creating conflict with people walking and people with disabilities. And I don't mean to... I don't mean to uh, pay disservice to people who have had incidents with scooters, or I would say more accurately, people, humans, riding scooters are are causing incidents. Um, But I would also, um, I guess, hesitate to maybe overplay the danger which scooters pose to our public streets. Um, I think think my opinion is pretty well known on the podcast that scooters overall, especially in regards to traveling around Portland and in downtown, um, are a pretty neat option to have, especially in the context of not necessarily having people who would traditionally be in a motor vehicle driving on our streets. Yes. Yes. I, for one, don't see myself getting on a scooter anytime soon. That's not to say I'm, I'm anti scooter. I'm actually very, no, Aaron, no, we got to go scoot. (laughs) We got to scoot, scoot. I don't, I don't see, I don't want to say I don't see any reason because that sounds negative. What I'm trying to say is, while I don't see myself getting on a scooter, I am very pro-scooter. Yes. Um, I think the more people we can get out of automotive vehicles and just out in the air is, uh, yes, is very good. Yeah. Apparently, um, thousands, not just a thousand, but thousands of people uh, shared their feedback during the first pilot program. It It is interesting. So I don't mean to get too much into the comment section so to speak Uh, (laughs) but i I think that the overall positives of having this as a form of transportation Uh do outweigh the negatives Um, oh yeah if we talk about vehicular violence and the number of people who are maimed killed or injured or simply don't have rights afforded to them by people driving um scooters are getting a little bit like scapegoated as the as like the ultimate form of evil yeah <laughs> yeah from a peabot perspective um but i do appreciate dylan sending out this notification um Thank and it's you. really nice to yeah. see the scooters back in i i've only ridden them once actually but i but i decided that i wanted to ride it because you know why why have an yeah. opinion on something that you haven't tried yourself <laughs> uh good but point at the same time um I was super sad because it's been really, really nice in Portland. So (laughs) there's been no scooters. I've actually seen a few. Okay. I haven't even been in Portland for much of the nice weather. Mm -hmm. And just coming back from the airport, I saw like two scooters in the Lloyd area. But, you know, these aren't scooters that are, I'm assuming that are like rentals or point by point because that program hasn't started quite yet. I think it's own, but it's owners. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was what that was what I thought. It was okay. like people who were so impressed with yeah. with the program to begin with that they're like, yeah, four hundred, five hundred dollars for this thing. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, if you so like boosted boards, we're talking electric skateboards here. Um, have have seen like a very large uptick in New York yeah. and other like dense metropolitan areas. I think for Portland scooters, the distance they cover and the way that they cover that distance, uh, it's just just such a nice form of transit to add into the mix. Yeah. Um, it is interesting how much like backlash they've received, but I feel like much of it is unjustified. I think, I think some of it is just, it's a, it's another, it's a new thing. Yeah. You know, I think, I think what I actually wanted to say was Peabot, you should get your own scooter fleet. (laughs) Tell everybody else to shove it. 
And then, <laughs> guess what? That's a new revenue stream. I was going to say that that generates revenue. Yes. Wh- wh- yes. But what do I know? Um, yes. Also in the news, we have nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may not have any more news, any more news, but you know what we do have? What do we got, Aaron? We got mail. Hey, we got mail. From Jason Brun, I'm a huge folding bike fan, but at six foot four, I feel I was born in the wrong body, but I squeeze myself onto a Brompton and a Dehan. That is one of the things about, you know, uh, a folding bike or or something to that extent is that, you know, it can generally fit certain body types or most body types pretty well. But if you're on one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum, I happen to be on the shorter end, which is why I ride the S-type. Um, mm. But even on the S-type, Anna made the observation that I was much more upright than I normally am Hmm. on my uh, um, regular bike. Yeah. I mean, the Bromptons, if you've ever seen the seat post extended to full length, it's kind of impressive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Those things go up. You can even get the telescoping. Oh, uh, really? (laughs) Yeah. The telescoping seat post, which gives you an extra, you know, so much. Um, If I hit 6.4, I'll I'll check it out. (laughs) Jason, you should check out the, I think it's the P-type. It's essentially the like the standard handlebars, only a little bit more upward extension. Nice. Um, yeah. Anyways, something worth looking at. Hey, from Keith in Indy. Hey, all. There's something that popped on my radar this morning. It is from Bicycling Magazine, the Bicycle Commuter Act. Um, where is it? Do you have that? <laughs> Sorry. I don't. But oh. Keith Keith continues on to say it's nice to have an extra twenty dollars towards bike stuff every month. So I'd love to see the new bill pass and go through. Although I think twenty percent of the driver deduction is still a bit low, but I'll take what I can get. Um, oh, it's a proposed tax deduction if you bike to work. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Oregon doesn't have that. Uh they they actually don't. Not yet. The also so also unrelated to the article, but I thought you should know I've been high-fiving the same Indigo, our local public transit bus driver, almost every morning on my ride to work for the past few weeks. It's pretty awesome to have him lean out the window and connect a high-five while riding. Booyah. Yeah. P.S. Lo- the trash ride was nice and trashy. Yum. <laughs> I mean, not nice. maybe not yum, but <laughs> yay. <laughs> nice. I, I always like those high-fives. It's It can be... Like once you establish, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. I as a bus driver, Aaron, do you have an official or unofficial opinion on such? Um, well, I would say the party line is you're not allowed to do that. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, what's the other party line? <laughs> well, I would say. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting no. you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are, and I'm going to dodge that question by saying, as as a bike rider, and I'm going up a hill. Any kind of encouragement will, like, carry me a long, long way. People talk about, like, trail magic, you know, Mm. or, like, Mm -hmm. something that happens while they're out in touring or whatever. Um, I haven't really experienced a whole lot of that. But what I experience occasionally here commuting is every now and then coming up a steep hill and someone, like, you know, going, like, right on. Yeah. You know, that carries me. So long. That can put me in a great mood for the rest of the day. Nice. Nice. Well, glad you have a high five, buddy, Keith. 
keep yeah. that high five high fiving. I I'm a fan of high fives. Uh, there's I'm also- a fan of high fives in general. I can say that. Okay. <laughs> Aaron's not giving the goat, but uh, <laughs> you keep high-fiving, Keith, and I'm um, glad, glad you have that connection. It's always always fun to have a bit of uh, cross-transit there. Wouldn't happen if we were all stuck in cars, by the way. It would be very difficult to high-five. And possibly dangerous. Yes. My arm might hurt afterwards yes. if I was driving and I tried to high-five somebody in another vehicle traveling the opposite direction, <laughs> unless it was like five miles an hour. <laughs> you I, know what? I would go let's for reduce that. all speeds to five miles yeah okay oregon yeah. passes a new high five law <laughs> 2019 gosh well you know what we've made it to the end of our show without Yay. saying before wait what oh god damn it <laughs> uh we have been enjoying some wonderful beverages courtesy of mine's long empty by the way this is yeah. this is true of both of us um Thank you so much to the beer mongers on Southeast Division and 12th for our beverage sponsors. Both Aaron Brown and I have been drinking the Finish the Fight match. Finish the Fight! Finish the Fight! Finish them! Uh, match Day Ale, which is an homage to the Timbers uh, and also somewhat relevant to our topic of conversation today. Uh, what have you been having, Aaron? Oh, the good old standby, the Lionheart kombucha. We got the ginger fix. Booyah. Did you happen to notice it was quite dark this time around? Was it really? Yeah, I may have just been the batch. Interesting. So, but any taste difference? Not that I noticed, but you could have probably set anything. I was very thirsty. You probably could have <laughs> set anything in front of me, and I would have drank it. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> you know, like my only uh, pro tip on the Lionheart kombucha in general is if you get one and you're putting it in your pannier tighten the cap prior to entry Uh, tighten it more than it's factory tightened correct okay i i've only learned that lesson hard like four times but (laughs) um that's my extent of my knowledge on pro tips for lionheart kombucha because it tastes so darn good it's really delicious in fact i didn't have any kombucha all week in minneapolis i even looked there's a few decent kombuchas out there or decent uh brewers i guess i don't know whoever makes kombucha but i didn't get any because i'm still on this like kind of limiting my sugar Mm -hmm. and um so far lionheart's really one of the few that still is not adding sugar after the process nice right on lionheart i think scobers is not the right term uh, scobers yeah scobers. <laughs> what are you oh well, i'm a professional you're scober. not exactly brewing anything you're yeah. just kind of letting it ferment do its thing. I guess fermenters um, yeah anyways right in tell us that we're right or wrong <laughs> or maybe somewhere <laughs> in between <laughs> all right you've reached the end of yet another episode um thank you so much for listening and for your support you want to lead us out here no you can okay ah damn it <laughs> No, it's cool. Round two. (laughs) The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Katharina Mellengard, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler. traveler, Dave Knows. 
Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Wilder, Anna, happy birthday, and thank you for spending the last few days with me. Happy birthday, Anna. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who's sitting right next to me. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Reed Granary. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugo, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tad, Derek Wagner. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grisbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan, thanks for the ride. Oh, yeah. Ryan Morrow, oh, sorry, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna. Matthew Ricks, Marshall, Paula at Funatake Cyclecraft. Philip M., Spartan Dale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left, and Bike Initiative Kiwana, including, and or, in addition, Sarah G. <laughs> and all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now brush your teeth. And go to bed. Okay. <laughs>